This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Another live stream. We're live on a number of different channels. If you are listening to the podcast version, make sure you connect with me there. Periscope, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Um, you might be able to see my new gamer chair in the background there. Super comfortable. I mean, for real, seriously, $180, not too expensive. And um, Facebook, yes, so I already mentioned that. So that's where we're live. If you're listening to the podcast channels, connect with me there so you don't miss the next one. Today, we want to talk about research. And we had Michelle Lynn on the show previously. She talked about why content marketers and marketers in general should do original research. A little bit of a different angle today. How do you do, when I think of research, you know what I think of? Surveys. Somebody sends me a survey. Can you take this survey, et cetera, et cetera, and you go from there. Um, But today I'm going to be joined by Jen Vogel. She's still in the green room here in Switcher Studios. Check them out live uh, for for your live stream, switcherstudio.com. And I want to let you know, I do do their content strategy. I work at Vox Pop Me. Um, They're based in Salt Lake City and and also Birmingham in in the UK. That's where they are founded. Um, But nonetheless, even though I work there, I asked Jen to come on the show. She did not twist my arm or anything like that. I would win that anyways. Um, Ha, ha, ha. But let's get her on the show here and let's talk about research and especially how do you do it over video? What does that even mean? Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Christoph. And certainly an arm arm wrestling match, you would win. That's the official <laughs> answer. <laughs> At least a virtual one, for sure. The, the, the virtual <laughs> one. I have been going to the gym more, but definitely more cardio because I got to lose a few pounds. But anyway, <laughs> vi- let's, I mean, you are the VP of marketing at Vox Pop Me. Let's talk about video research. What, I mean, what does that even mean? How do you do it? Kind of fill us in. Sure. So... Yeah, as you mentioned before, you know, when people think about doing research, they often think about running a survey and um, sort of the quantitative side of research. And video research is really about capturing consumer, customer, your audience's stories in their own words. So um, you can think of it as, you know, a, a video response to a survey question. So instead of just asking someone to tick boxes or um, choose from a pre-selected multi-choice answer, um, they can just tell their own stories and explain their mindsets, their behaviors, and really get a, an additional layer of context that you can't get from quantitative data. And what's interesting about that too, in my opinion, is, um, you know, I, I might say a lot more than I would write, you know? So if I'm filling out a survey or... I take so many surveys. Well, you know what they do? I mean, I'm like, none of these answers are good. That's not my experience. <laughs> like, was this great or, you know, good or bad or whatever? I, I mean, I don't even know. So when you do video, re- like, walk me through. How does it even look? How do, I, um, how do I use that as a marketer? And like, what's the workflow? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, when you're um, 
answering a question on a survey and uh, potentially you've got open-ended text box questions where you can give a little bit more context, you're going to write, it was great or it was fine or I like the color or whatever it might be. Whereas um, through video response, because you naturally go into a sort of storytelling mode, you're going to get six or eight times more content out of that response. Um, and so the way the video research actually works is it, you can do it a number of different ways. You can actually replace an open-ended text box question within a survey with a video question. Um, so really right within the context of a, of a survey that someone's taking, they can say, yes, I'd like to respond to this via video. Um, a widget pops up in their web browser or on their phone if they're taking the survey on their phone um, and they record a video just like you would. You know. It uses, if you're on your phone, it uses the phone's camera and recording um, and uploads into a platform for to, to start to do some analysis. Um, that's one way that you can do video research. Um, probably the more common use case is that it's a kind of end-to-end -end video experience. So again, uh, you know, people are responding via video to a series of questions or maybe a single question, um, all through video. Uh, we actually have a, a community at BoxPotMe of people who have opted in to respond to survey questions via video. So that can be done through our community or through other kind of sample panel providers um, or just sent via a link. Um, and that can be done, like I mentioned, through web browser or mobile device or anything kind of outside of, the, of our app community. And you know, what's interesting to me when it comes to video, I mean, it is so much easier than it has ever been, right? I mean, I remember when I was uh, working for a TV station, we were talking about a live stream and, and basically, you know, you have to get through all this stuff. And I'm like, this is no different than doing like yeah. a TV live stream in the, the 90s. And today, you know, we're live streaming this directly from my iPad. Um, you're on your computer, I, I assume, but it's yeah. super simple, right? We have very yeah. simple headphones. It is... And the other thing it reminded me, when Matthew Barnett was on the show, he is the papa bear at Bonjoro, and Bonjoro does video messages, right? So basically, if I want to send you a message, I can say, um, hey, Jen, blah, 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 and I send it to you like it's an email. And when we, I first started talking to him, I thought, whoever wants to do a video message? Like, now I have mm -hmm. to get dressed up, I have to shave. And he goes, no, 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 that's not how anybody uses what we do, right? They just take their phone and they ship a message. Sounds like this model, same thing. Like if I want to leave feedback for a brand, I'll just pick up my phone, go into the app, I guess, and then, right, send them what I have to say. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. And it has gotten a lot easier. I mean, video isn't new to the market research community, right? So uh, anybody who's been in insights or in market research for or, or even in marketing, you're familiar with focus groups and in-depth interviews and that sort of traditional qualitative. And oftentimes those engagements were recorded and could be manually coded over a series of months or however long it takes to manually code video and edited into some sort of a deliverable, but it wasn't really um, a painless experience. So the, the, what we're talking about now with this sort of asynchronous video response to survey questions, um, it's a lot faster and a lot easier to manage than it ever was before. Explain to me, what, what does that mean, an asynchronous um, response? Yeah, so um, again, it, like kind of comparing to traditional um, qualitative methods of capturing 
um, any kind of feedback, you might, you're, you're having a two-way conversation like you and I are, right? Um, whereas the asynchronous video feedback, you're asking a question and then you get a response. There's another question that's already been pre-programmed in and you get another response. So it's not so much a two-way conversation as it is a one-way conversation all within you know, the, the same kind of framework of questions that are going to everyone. Now you can set up follow-ups if you wanted to dig deeper on any of the the responses that you've gotten, or you want to understand something a little bit more, but ultimately it's still that sort of one-way conversation that's happening. And, you know, I, I have many content creators who tell me, oh, uh, we got all this video now. Great idea, Christoph. We got everything on video and, and now we have to watch the video back. We have to transcribe it. And don't get me going on transcriptions. By the way, Google, and not Google, yeah, Google maybe too, but I don't know, Apple at least. Now they're transcribing your podcast behind the scenes. So everything we say can actually show up in search. Super interesting. Yeah. So for that purpose on, on Apple at least, we don't need a transcript. But there's other reasons you might need one. But a lot of people say to me, oh, we got to watch it again. We got to transcribe it. Uh, what, how? How, how how can we make that easier or is that easier already? Sure. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that's changed in the last several several years with handling of video is it used to be that you had to have manual transcription done and coding and time coding and all things like that. And so um, that's one of the beautiful things about Fox Popme's platform is that we're able to uh, transcribe and time code and tag themes and sentiment all instantaneously. So the evolution of technology has just made working with video so much easier. So again, you're, it eliminates the need for you to watch really any of the video if you don't want to watch it. If you're looking to kind of see the emotion and and the context behind the responses that you're getting, then of course you want to watch it. But you have a hundred hours of video, you don't want to watch every minute of it, then you're able to kind of filter through all of the the tags and the the theme coding, as I mentioned, um, to really dig into the areas that you care about most and focus your resources on on those. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that model where I can literally just read things as opposed to watch things because I'm not a linear mm -hmm. guy at, at all. Right. Let me skim it. Just give me the highlights. Bullet points, please. No full sentences, no paragraphs. So that's certainly an improvement um, mm -hmm. to do that. And but how do I use that in my content strategy? So if I'm you know, if I'm out here and I'm like, you know, I know everybody talks about, oh, we got to know our personas. We have to do this and this. Mm -hmm. But it's super easy to disregard. Right. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I OK, if I choose between doing a podcast with you or doing a, doing research for an hour. I mean, I'll talk to somebody, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of marketers who will say that, oh, we got something else yeah. to do. We got to write, we got to do this and whatever. How do we kind of find the time and, and why should it become a priority? Yeah, I think that um, kind of understanding your audience is key to any marketing or content strategy because, you know, I, as a consumer of content, I'm going to read things that are, either I'm going to learn something or it's going to help me do my job better or help me improve my life somehow on the sort of consumer side, personal side of things. And so if a brand that I'm, you know, could be potentially interested in doesn't actually understand my struggles, my motivations and, you know, what I'm looking to achieve, then <clears throat> they're probably not putting out content or any marketing strategies that are going to reach me. So 
it's got to be the foundation, like truly understanding your customers has to be the foundation of any marketing program. Um, but it is hard. It, it, it does take a lot of time. And um, I think it, it, historically, like I might do a lot of customer interviews, which a lot of time, one at a time, an hour long or something like that. Whereas if you can speed that process up and make it a little bit more agile and also get more data, you know, because five customer interviews are, you know, is not going to give me enough information to really understand my audience and really do the kind of persona work that's going to make my marketing more, more impactful. Um, so if you can get a higher volume of response in a shorter amount of time, then that just makes my job so much easier in understanding, you know, who my audience is and what it is in my that I need to inject into my content strategy that's actually going to reach them. Hey, I want to show you guys um, a graphic, and you can do this super simple with um, Switcher Studio. If I haven't mentioned it, I'm a big fan. Um, and let me show this to you right here. This is a graphic from. You can totally see that I'm, I'm literally just taking it off another um, presentation. But talk about this. So if people say to me, you know, they say all the time, oh, whatever. I know my audience. I know my audience. I've been doing this for a long time. So let's yeah. let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So this I love this uh, chart. This came from a Capgemini study that was done a couple of years back. And essentially, you know, companies today and, and marketers and, um, you know, businesses in general really want to be customer centric and think that they are customer centric, but the people that are actually consuming their products or services don't necessarily feel the same way. So, you know, if I'm in the sort of CPG arena, you know, I, I really think that I'm, I'm a customer centric brand and I, I really focus on my customer needs, but my, my end customers aren't feeling that way. And <clears throat> what's really interesting about this study is why like why is there such a big disconnect between businesses who are wanting to be and trying to be customer centric and the people that are actually buying from them and it's that people don't feel like they're heard they don't feel like brands are listening to their needs and they don't feel like their loyalty is being rewarded and i think we live in an age now where brand loyalty is very fragile um you know it's it it costs a lot less and it's a lot easier to make a switch so you know, people aren't as as brand loyal as they once were. And so that that customer experience and really connecting with and listening to customer needs is so crucial right now um, to to really, you know, having successful business and competing in the marketplace. So, yeah, I think this is really interesting. And, um, you know, providing more avenues for your customers to be heard by you is exactly what what people are looking for. They're looking for more ways to communicate with brands and evidence that they've been heard and they've been listened to. Absolutely. Now, the one thing, you know, that I want to mention to you guys is so the way I got that um, the, the graphic on here in like 10 seconds is I just pulled it up on my computer and then I streamed my computer as an additional camera. The one thing I want to share how you what you want to keep in mind while Jen is talking about that graphic I need to stay on that graphic. I can't go to email or anything like that because that's literally what's streaming to the screen. So just some, I just thought about that. I was like, oh, I can just do this quickly. No, I can't because it's <laughs> literally streaming to everybody. So good for me. We've to all been there. We've, We've all, all been there pulling up your email or your Slack messages while you're sharing. Well, <laughs> while, you talk, while you're talking to a client, I've, actually, I've been there as well. But so how about... So, uh, 
research, okay, let's say we're all on board. Research um, is good. We should do it. We, you know, we should um, get better customer insights. And, and I think very few people will actually disagree, dis- disagree with that. But how about when you get the feedback and it's so bad? Like, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, when I get, you know, I mean, I did the, 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 the mean tweets, you know, how they do it on Jimmy Kimmel. I did that a couple yeah. years ago. And most of them were trolls, quite frankly, but it's still kind of heard. Like, how do we, like, so when we get the feedback, how do we take it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the negative feedback is just as important, if not more important than the positive feedback. Um, one thing to kind of keep in mind, though, I, I try to remember this. This is I'm going to go back to my college days, marketing 101, you know, freshman year of college. My, my professor told me, or told the class, uh, that when, when people have a good experience, they tell three people about it. When people have a bad experience, they tell 11 people about it. So you do kind of have to weigh out the positive with the negative and take it with a grain of salt. But I do think that the negative feedback is just as important, if not more, than the positive feedback, because that's where things need to change or evolve in order to improve the experience that customers are having with your brand or with your business. And the other thing that's interesting, I just thought about that when it comes to video. So when somebody writes something, you can't tell the tone usually. Like right. sometimes you can, but like every once in a while I send a snarky yes. message on Slack or something. I'm like, did they get my tone? I hope they did, you know, but yeah. you really, you can't see uh, the person's face or you can't see, you know, how they're looking at you. So that could be helpful as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because something that appears... Uh, really negative in text or maybe just neutral in text could be a lot more negative than you realized or maybe not as bad as you thought. So I think having that emotional context really helps. Yeah, very good. So when you when I've done research, like let's say on social media, right, you, you, you look at the sentiment. What are people saying um, about your brand? But this is public. Um, to me, it seems like most of the time, it's very overwhelmingly neutral, what the people would call neutral, right? So they say a bunch of stuff and it's neutral. But, but all the, um, the, the studies or whatever I've looked at in the Vox Popney system, it wasn't like that. It's like it's positive and negative and there's some neutral, sometimes it's thirds maybe, but it's different. I'm, is that because they're talking to the brand, they're not talking publicly or what's your experience with that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think um, some of it probably has to do with the fact that they've been asked a specific question, whereas feedback on social media and things like that is unsolicited. So that would be my guess as to why you would see more kind of positive, negative sentiment incorporated. I do want to say, I think that like that, all of these different research methodologies that we're talking about are part of a whole. Like, Video research doesn't replace scraping social media. It doesn't replace quantitative surveys. It's about building a program that's all-encompassing so you can have a complete understanding and complete picture of your customers and what their wants and needs are. Because that unsolicited feedback is going to be slightly different and is probably going to answer questions that you didn't know you really needed to ask. Um, And you'll get some of that from video as well by allowing people to go into that sort of storytelling mode. But ultimately, like, it's about piecing together different types of research to get the full picture of your customer. That's a really interesting point, because when I'm talking about American Airlines or yell at them on Twitter, it's usually they don't say, hey, how is the flight going? 
I'm just like, oh, right. what are you guys doing? Full disclosure, I love American Airlines. They treat me very well, not so much this year. But as an example, right, if I'm saying something to a brand, they don't usually start that conversation. How important is the type of question I ask? I mean, sometimes there was actually, I I did get a survey the other day, it was not video. And I was going to do it, I actually like the brand. But the questions were horrible. I mean, they were like, what's the, and then some were actually, I thought they were kind of intrusive almost, you know, and I'm like, why do you need to know this? Um, and I don't remember what they were exactly, but that was my feeling when I looked at them and I kind of stopped it. And then I noticed it was supposed to be 15 minutes and I'm like, I didn't even get past question two. So how, <laughs> how important is the, uh, the type of questions you ask and how do you do that? Yeah, it's really important to make sure you're using the right kind of questions for the methodology that you're using for the research. So there's a lot of best practices out there for quantitative research and how to ask questions. I think the most important thing to think about with quantitative is making sure that you're not asking any questions that skew the data. Um, so if you're looking for people who to understand brand awareness, for example, you would never say, hey, are you aware of this brand? Because most people are just going to say yes, where you provide a list of brands and say, check off the ones that you're aware of or familiar with, and you're going to get more accurate data. So that's a lot of the sort of classic best practices around quantitative research. With qualitative research, you want to make sure that you're maximizing the type of response that you can get. So you wouldn't want to ask a yes or no question for a video response because you can get a yes or no answer through a quantitative question. And you want to ask a question that's going to inspire people to think differently and talk differently. So um, some of the we have some best practices that we can share um, with anyone who's interested, but some of the ones that I that I'm partial to is just getting people to think about things like whether it's their behaviors or their feelings about a brand a little bit differently. So, you know, describe uh, X brand in three words and why did you choose those three words or um, something like that will really get people thinking a little differently and you'll, you're able to kind of pull out some insights that are maybe a little bit more meta and a little bit more subconscious than just kind of answering um, a direct sort of yes or no question. So in other words, so I, you know, I'm the master, I guess, of leading questions on here. You don't want to do that on surveys, right? You want to do it here because you want people to kind of go and take it and run with it, but you don't want to do right. that on a survey necessarily. Yeah, because you'll end up with poor data and, and maybe a misunderstanding of your customers, which is probably worse than not understanding them at all. Right. Very interesting. And then how do you get it in front of people? I know you talked about there's a community. Um, and, and of course, that's, you know, in, in all this research, you always got to find the right amount of people to, um, sure. to actually participate. What's how, how do you how do you find the right audience or who does that, I guess? Sure. Yeah, I think it depends on the use case and who the audience is that you're going after. So if you're looking for a sort of general population opinion and or a specific segment, maybe it's moms or something like that, then you can go to a company that has a community or has a, a, a panel that can execute that for you and find that audience for you. Um, if you're more so looking for, you know, customer feedback from your own databases or customer lists, there's a lot of different ways you can share it. Um, you can create a video survey just like you could a quantitative survey. I'm sure a lot of people are using things like SurveyGizmo or SurveyMonkey for things like that. And it'll generate a survey link for you. 
You can do the same thing with video surveys and then share that link via email or social media or have a pop-up on your website to request feedback um, from your existing audience. And so, of course, during COVID here, I mean, I've done everything from this exact same spot for the not last nine months. I haven't moved uh, really, <laughs> really hard to get 10,000 steps in, right? Uh, but yeah. no travel, for sure. Last yeah. trip was in June. Uh, I did do uh, a focus group a few years ago. I don't know if they didn't care I was a marketer or they didn't catch it or whatever it was. Um, but but how does this fit in when, when people can't go anywhere? Like if somebody were to call me today and yeah. say, hey, Christoph, you want to come down for this uh, focus group? And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Totally. I, I think that, you know, th there has been a shift um, over the last number of years, even pre-COVID, um, to doing a lot more of this, as I mentioned before, asynchronous, uh, you know, no geographic limitation type video research. It's all, you know, virtual. It just is that much faster, easier, um, more cost effective. But especially now when you can't get a group of strangers into a room for an hour, um, sometimes this is the, really the only way. And, you know, oftentimes what we've seen um, just kind of in our own research is that when you, if you have a focus group of eight to 10 people and they're meeting for an hour, hour and a half, and if you were to record that focus group, which oftentimes companies do, you'll end up with about six minutes of content per person that's participating. And so to be able to ask five or six questions and get a minute response from 50 people across the U.S. in all different locations and have that come back in just a couple of days, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like you're getting just as much, if not more content, more authentic. You're not worrying about, you know, people... Um, being influenced by each other's opinions and things like that. They're kind of in their own environment. It's a little bit more authentic. Um, and then that that added layer of, well, we actually can't even physically get in person with these people. So, um, you know, we've seen a huge increase in uh, the kind of desire for this type of research. Yeah, and definitely easier to do than um, than going anywhere, which, of course, who wants to do that anymore? That's right. Currently, yeah. anyway. So even though sometimes I, I wouldn't mind leaving the house, but for the time <laughs> being, it is what it is. Um, so finally, though, how how do we remind people to to actually look at the research? I mean, for example, mm. you know, I mean, you have Google Analytics or you have whatever it might be. But if you or your strategy is in a Google Doc, but if you don't look yeah. at it, it doesn't make any difference that it exists, right? So do people get a ping saying, "Hey, um, your responses are in," and if you don't look at them, or how how do we get people to remember that? Sure. Yeah, I think so. When the project completes, there's always an alert and kind of a, a reminder to drive people back into the platform. Um, <laughs> I think one of the most important pieces of any type of research, especially video, is actually sharing it and socializing it. So, you know, the responses do come back very quickly. They're typically in, you know, within 24 or 48 hours. So you're not waiting long, which I know for me, like I have that kind of instant gratification need, like I'm probably checking constantly to see, oh, do I have any new responses? Oh, I've got three new ones. I've got 10 new ones um, and looking throughout. But once the project is completed, being able to really dig in and uncover those insights that you were 
really hoping to find that, like, what's new that you learned from this research? What are the themes that came out that, you know, consistently across the board, our customers are talking about X, and we never knew that before, you know, um, we never heard it talked about in that way. Being able to stitch together if you have, you know, an hour's worth of video content, stitch that together into a 60 or 90 second highlight and share that, socialize it so everybody understands your customers better, not just you as the marketer, but um, the other teams that you're collaborating with and, and other people in your business is, is really key. And of course, um, I love when companies have stories um, behind them, why they exist mm-hmm. in, in addition to, you know, they want to make, uh, make money, of course, but that can't be the only mm-hmm. story. And, you know, Vox popped me when, when, uh, when I told my wife that name. She says, What's, what does that even mean? So what's the, what's the story behind the name? Sure. So Vox Pop Me is uh, derived from the Latin Vox Populi, which means the voice of the people. And so we launched as a way to bring the voice of the people into businesses that wanted to understand people better. And who wouldn't want that? Um, and now you yeah. can do it through through video. Um, fantastic insights. Really quickly, um, if you're wondering how we live stream to all these different channels, we stream io they allow you to do that uh, fantastic tool as well jen thanks for joining me today thanks for sharing your insights uh, great to catch up with you thank you so much for having me all right thanks everyone for watching and listening until next time that's a wrap thanks for tuning in please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels and don't forget to share this episode with your networks we appreciate you Until next time, let the best stories win.